Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes podcast. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this Monday episode of the show. And folks, you got to check out betonline.ag. It's the number one spot for all the sports action this season. They've got football, basketball, NHL, boxing, UFC, even Vegas casino games. And they have a newly updated website that if you check it out and sign up today, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus when you use our promo code BLEAV. That is B-L-E-A-V and Bet online is where the game starts. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> what was that? What's that for? Well, because there's a new promo code, and I'm glad that I uh, can bring attention to it. It's it's different this time, and I almost said the old promo code, and I could see Chris sweating it out as I'm working through the uh, the promo code there, and I said it correctly, but then I almost spelled it wrong, and so so. Were you expecting me to give you grief? Is that what the the high Kyle like that was for? Um, no, like, it that's was, what caught me off guard. That was me feeling like I saved it and having a bad transition and to saying happy Monday to you, Kyle. And and got it. It was it was a Joe thing, not a Kyle thing. Happy Monday, indeed. <laughs> we have one more regular season of NFL football. We have, I guess, what still technically two college football games left to be played. Yeah, Kansas State and LSU would like everyone to be reminded that they still have a game left. But it was there. And I know we touched on this when we did like the special, but like, what is the point to them have not <laughs> having played yet? I don't, I don't know how annoying that's got to be if you're one of those student athletes. Like, you last played a game late November, it's a month the ago. second week in January, and you got you to stay engaged. And yeah, yeah, no, not great. Mercifully, that one's coming down the corner. And then we have Alabama versus Georgia, rematch of SEC championship game for the national championship. And uh, I think that's what our day today is going to be dedicated towards, right? It is talking about some of the scouting takeaways from uh, the college football playoff semifinals and those performances. And then if we get into other bowls, we could talk about there were a lot of marquee games that were played over the long weekend. So, Joseph, where would you like to uh, kick this thing off at? I'd like to kick it off with a very broad discussion that features Chris Schubert. Chris Schubert, a champion of expanded college football oh, playoffs. Mid major you know, Chris. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the way Cincinnati played. We'll get into that. I mean, the team that looked like they didn't belong was Michigan. Cincinnati played as well as a lot of teams have in the semis. But as you've been a champion for expanded playoffs, I just don't know that Pitt and Utah would have made things better. I mean, the the semis have continuously been not competitive. And if the argument for expanding the playoffs is that it will be more competitive, but to me, the that's easily tossed aside because you're just oversaturate as oversaturating the product with teams that don't deserve to be there. Like I think we have plenty of teams in the playoffs, as unpopular as that might be. All right, so 
I don't want to sound like a jerk because I know you're asking a very honest question, but I, I this is the only way to answer this is to basically come off like a jerk. Then before the season, pick the two top SEC teams that you think are going to be good, make that the national championship, skip all this other stuff, and we'll just play those two teams for the national championship. Because that's basically what you're saying. And that's fine. All I've asked for, and the reason why I've gotten the branding of mid-major Chris, is I just want us to be transparent with the, with the ridiculousness that this all is. If you just want to pick the two best SEC teams before the season starts and let those two teams play for the national championship, fine by me. I just want you to be transparent about it. That's a little disrespectful to Ohio State, who also deserves a mention if they're going to be good, but <laughs> I, I don't think that's within the spirit of your argument that it's always been, Chris. You want opportunity, right? I want opportunity, and I want the committee to be transparent about what they're doing. My criticism has been with the, with the committee saying one thing and doing another and not being transparent in what they're doing. And yes, I want opportunity. Would, would Pitt and Utah being in the, the college football playoff with the hindsight that we have of what happened this past weekend play out differently? No. But I also am old enough to remember Boise State not having a chance against Oklahoma in a Fiesta Bowl and beating them in overtime. Right. Like I am able to remember these things happening and those things don't happen with this type of logic, with the but, logic of let's not I, include I would, these teams. Those things don't happen. I'm going to interject on that behalf, because the reason games like that happen is because you aren't playing for a national championship. That's how these big time programs come in and they don't their expectations are we want to compete for a national championship and you don't make it. And it's like, OK, we're going to go play in the Fiesta Bowl against Boise State, whoop-de-doo. We'll go and we'll play the game, but the players aren't really focused in the way that they would be if they were playing in a real-stakes environment. And that's how magical – and I'm not discounting what Boise State did. It was phenomenal, right? That's one of the, the most memorable games of, like, my early fandom of football. But if we're being honest, if you get them into – a playoff environment in which you are playing for a national championship, I think you get a different energy from that big-time program that's standard every year is to compete for a national championship. So my problem with that is then because of that, we're going to punish the, we're going to punish the other team. We're going to punish the Boise States of the world. We're going to punish the UCFs. We're going to punish the Cincinnati's of the world because in those games, the other team doesn't get up for the game. That's my problem with that, and I, I don't disagree with how you, I, Kyle. How am I punishing them? Because you're because you're saying put that game in a championship environment and Oklahoma rises to the occasion, they play better, they're they're geared up yeah. for the game, and so it's a different game, it's a different outcome. And then to piggyback off of Joe's point, that's why you don't expand the playoff because by including those teams, the Boise States, the Utahs, the Pits of the world, those things would continue to happen. I think you're punishing the teams for you're punishing teams for doing something that is out of their control. It's not their fault that Oklahoma didn't have a good season. Right. It's not their fault Oklahoma and didn't if, play for national championship. It's not their fault. And and if you're going to expand the playoff, I am fully in support of automatic bids for each of the Power Five conferences, at least one minimum group of five at-large bid. I'm fine with all that. You expand the playoff because you're going to make more money. That's why you expand the playoff if you're the NCAA. And sure. if you feel as though you're going to be able to get away with it amidst the push for players' rights and you know the, the dynamics of compensation that are already becoming more and more amplified in college football. That's why you would expand the playoff. I'm sorry, I also but like, let's I also be think honest. It's your, I also think it's your only way to keep, and I don't have a problem with this personally, and I've been very clear on this, but I think that's the only way that you stop massive player opt-outs in this point of the season 
is by adding more games that quote unquote mean something. By expanding the playoffs, you're adding more games. And I've always said, just tie in the college football playoffs to some of these bowl games, slap the name on them like they do currently when they rotate through the New Year's Six. And then you have these games, quote unquote, mattering and players are more inclined to to stay and play in these games because that's the only way I think you, quote unquote, stop that from happening. Again, I don't have a problem with it. Players opt out. It's their personal decision. I, I have no issue with it. But if you want to stop that, making more games, quote unquote, matter, I think is the only way to do it. So I think we've identified why the NCAA would be in favor of it. I think the psychology behind why a lot of fans and analysts want it is because they're tired of the same stuff, right? They're tired of the same powerhouses every year. And if you expand the field, you do introduce more opportunity for variance. And maybe Alabama has a hiccup or, you know, Clemson when they're on has a hiccup or they have a hiccup, right? And so you have these windows of opportunity that create are created because there's just more data points. There's more sample size. And with that comes more variance, which leads me to the next point that I would make here is that my interest in college football has really shifted. I've always loved it from the scouting perspective. That's always kind of been my motivation. I want to see the future NFL players in college and have a feel for who they are. But now that's like almost it where I, the, the, pageantry and the bowl season and all that type of stuff has really faded for me. And I'm just interested in who the prospects are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of this environment. So I'm interested in seeing if NIL and if the transfer portal, basically having free agency in college football, if all of that leads to more parity and, and, and more good teams, right? Like there are programs, there are a lot of programs that, Literally, you you can't do it right now. You can't win a national championship. It's not in your wheelhouse. And so I'm hopeful that those things can have a positive impact on that because if you're not like a diehard alum or something like that, like I don't know how your interest in college football can be expanding given what feels like the uh, inevitable nature of the end of the season. Chris? Anything else? No, I look. Can we talk about some of the great players that played yeah. in, in these semifinal games? Because I just think we're, we're going to talk in circles on this. I, I think I think we all come from it from a place of we want this to be a inclusive environment. We want these games to matter. We want these games to mean something. But I think what we've proven is no matter what the recipe is, you put Notre Dame in, you put Michigan State in, you put Washington in, Cincinnati goes in. No matter what, these semifinals just appear to be blowouts. No matter what yeah. the case may be. So at this point. Just put the put the teams that deserve to be in, and then you just move on with your with your. That life. doesn't stop me from getting excited, right? Like no, I'm sure you yeah. guys felt the same way. Like, oh, I got some great games. Let's see what Cincinnati can do. Michigan and Georgia should be an awesome game, and here we are. <laughs> and by the way, Cincinnati kind of followed the game script I thought they needed to in order to win the football game. Their offense just couldn't do anything. Yeah, I, and that's a, that's let's let's get into it because I, I thought Alabama yeah. Alabama played the game that they needed to play. Right, they didn't do more than what was necessary. And I thought they embraced, okay, we're going to run the football. They're not going to get out of a 3-3-5 three, three, stack. Don't really need to open up the passing game. We'll pick our spots. But if this is how they're going to play, we'll fall into the script and we'll just beat them. I um, could not believe Cincinnati didn't have anything else on tap <laughs> than to play a 3-3-5 three, three, stack and cover one. And I get it. Like, that's that's your formula. That's who you are, right? So – Stay true to who you are. But when the first possession came and Alabama ran the ball 10 times <laughs> and you 
you didn't do anything to slow him down. And like, let's be fair to to Cincinnati. I thought the prospects on Cincinnati uh, showcased themselves quite well. I thought Sauce Gardner played really well. Mm-hmm. I thought Darian Beavers made a number of impact plays for them. I thought Myjay Sanders and his burst off the edge yes. looked really, really good. You know, there were a number of defensive performers that like you hung your hat on those guys all year long. You held Alabama to 17 points through three quarters in a college football semifinal game. Like, props. Very nicely done. I come away with more concerned about Bryce Young and his long-term forecast as an NFL draft prospect because of a game like this. Um, and I'm sure Brian Robinson cashing in on 26 carries for 204 yards is going to help him in what is generally considered to be a down running back year. Uh, is another performance that that is going to really jump out of this game. But I can't believe Cincinnati didn't – we didn't have a heavy set. We didn't have a four down front. Like, we didn't go bare. We, did, like, we, didn't, we didn't do anything to try and counter. And that was what really surprised me. And then as the game kind of wore on, it's like, okay, they weathered the storm a little bit. Good for them. Now let's see if they can do anything. And And was the stat that they had two offensive possessions in which they went further than six yards? Did I see that stat? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Certainly felt like it watching the game. Especially because so, Alabama was without John Mechie, right? Like, their passing game, there's plenty of reason to think that given the strength of Cincinnati being their back seven, right, on defense and mm-hmm. them not having their one of their top receivers, that they would embrace a run-heavy offense, especially when everybody knows there's a decided – advantage in the trenches for Alabama Cincinnati just they they had to have talked about this and they said no we're right. gonna stick with it yeah well, and, just, and this, is, other- this is who we are this is what we're gonna do and I, Chris I know you got a thing I just want to clarify what that stat was before we go any further and it gets burying somebody else at us so that was through three quarters they had two possessions that went further than six yards in three quarters uh the second half uh, in the fourth quarter they had eight for 49 turnover on downs and seven for 37. That was a turnover on downs as well. So they succeeded in the fourth quarter, moving the ball kind of once the game was in hand. The other thing too, that I thought was interesting is with no Mechie and the way that they ran the ball on that first drive, Alabama used Jamison Williams differently than they had for most of the season. They weren't going deep down the field with him. They were doing a lot of stuff in the, in the short passing game. Then he got banged up at one point too, which Mm kind of changed things. And I thought, Cincinnati has got to be feeling like, okay, we're not getting beat over the top, right? Because he's not they're not burning us down the field. We're keeping everything in front of us. And yeah, like you said, of- all those players played really well. It, it was just weird to me that they couldn't get anything going offensively because they, at times they had momentum. The one time Bryce Young early in the first half tried to go down the field, he threw an interception early in the second half. He threw an interception. And you were able to get some momentum. And anytime it felt like they were going to finally turn the corner, their offense just couldn't do anything. So what does this game mean for Desmond Ritter? What did we say? I don't remember if it was on a, on this podcast. It was, just, it was on a scouting meeting. Scouting meeting. It was yeah, basically just don't, just don't S your pants. Yeah, don't poop your pants. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he did. Um, obviously, protection issues galore. Uh, I think Alec Pierce really let him down by not making that tough catch on the RPO. That should have been a touchdown in my mind. And Alec Pierce has made that catch all year long, and I thought that was a real momentum killer. I thought not getting Josh Wiley. I think the two best pass catchers for Cincinnati are Josh Wiley and Alec Pierce. They combined for three catches. Like, that's where the ball – I thought that needed to be – Three for 29 yards. 
needed to be a bigger part of what they tried to accomplish. I did like Jerome Ford at running back. I thought all things considered against a, you know, uh, an overmatched, a defense in Alabama that overmatched the offensive line of Cincinnati for him to be able to generate the production he done, he did on the ground and had a few catches as well. Uh, I thought was really good. And, and as we've talked more and more about Cincinnati, I, I've come back to Jerome Ford a lot as a big reason why their offense was what it was this year and the season he had and how Desmond Ritter was more of a compliment to what Jerome Ford was as this bell cow back. And um, I thought he showed himself well in a tough spot. How about Fidarian Mathis in this game too? He was a monster, good. ain't he? Yes. I was very <laughs> impressed. And this was kind of the first game where I was like, okay, I'm going to intently watch for Mathis and try my best not to watch Will Anderson Jr. Because yeah, he's tough. not relevant this year, which is super <laughs> unfortunate because he'd probably be the number one overall pick if he was eligible. Yeah. Physically looks like he could be could play in the NFL <laughs> today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable football player. But yeah, uh, Fidari Mathis and, and his activeness up front really jumped off to me as well. Plays tough, man. He plays tough ball. But I thought since he showed himself as reasonably well, there was things I thought they could have done offensively and defensively to give them a better chance. But I always go back to Alabama just kind of played the game they had to based on the script. Like We're not going to do more than we have to. We'll win this game this way and get ready for Georgia. And that feels like a good transition. Is that what we want to we want to transition to the the dogs? Sure. Blowout right. city. Kyle, I, I feel like obviously you're dialed in on Michigan, and mm-hmm. I I guess I'm really interested in kind of you kicking off this conversation based on the the Michigan team that you've watched, the the familiarity that you have with their players and what we saw, like what's that prevailing thought in your mind? Uh, Georgia's defensive front kicked Michigan's ass <laughs> when Michigan had the ball and they averaged 3.4 yards per carry. And then it became, you're going to have to ask uh, a, a team that has done the merry-go-round thing with multiple quarterbacks this season to try to come from behind and pass the football to win. Yeah. And you saw uh, Cade McNamara through two picks. And J.J. McCarthy wasn't much better. Um, and that's just it. they could get no push up front. And then Georgia just ran them over. You know, they, they can come at you from so many different ways. And Stetson Bennett, you know, extended plays, yep. uh, getting, getting outside the pocket and, and running, I thought really hurt Michigan in some of the instances in which they could have got them out of possessions without – giving up points. Uh, but when James cook is yeah. playing running back and lining up on the perimeter and running go routes and catching balls that like, what are you going to do? Like you're going to zone them up and then they're going to, they're going to run over you. Like they, they just put them in so many different con- ways of conflict. And they used a lot of quick throws to negate mm-hmm. the pass rush. That's, that's where I was going to go is in, in Kirby said it like before the game, if I'm not mistaken, the question Kirby smart was asked was, you know, what are you going to do about these defensive linemen? And he said, we're going to do things to take them out of the game. And damn it, they did, right, with the way they ran the football, the quick passing game. And um, I don't think Aiden Hutchinson played poorly. It's just he wasn't afforded the opportunities to really take over like he has in the past. And 
you know, Ajabo was pretty quiet, but I thought for the most part it was a great job by Georgia playing the style of game that they needed to to minimize what makes Michigan so good on defense with those defensive ends. Yeah, and everybody's going to pull the clip of of Hutchinson getting flat back by Salyer, right? Like it's your watch you're, football. It, it, it happens, man. Like it, right, it's and it's inevitably going to be the play that makes the round rounds. Just like the other way it happened is that play of Hutchinson putting Thayer Munford in the Michigan Ohio State game flat mm-hmm. on his back made the rounds for like three weeks, right? Like <laughs> it's a play that's it's going to be on highlight reels. It's going to be that play that if you are, um a fan of other prospects instead, you'll use that play to discard mm-hmm. or, or talk down that player. And if you're a, a fan of Jamari Salyer, then this is the greatest play that ever happened in the history of mankind, right? It's just, that's how, how it's going to work. Um, but yeah, I thought Georgia did a nice job keeping them off balance. I cannot wait for Brock Bowers to be a draft eligible prospect, the tight end from Georgia. <laughs> yeah, he's insane. Because the one catch that he had down the field was phenomenal. Uh, they used him in a lot of different ways. He was pretty active in in kind of chipping on the edge and stuff like that throughout the course of this game as well. So I just they kept that entire defense off balance. And, and really what uh, has made the Michigan defense tick all season long was, yes, it was this pass rush, but you also have to remember – their defensive coordinator was the linebackers coach with the Baltimore Ravens. It's a very blitz heavy yeah. defensive system. And when you're getting gashed in the run game, like Michigan who averaged five and a half yards per carry, it's going to take you out of your rhythm and how you want to dictate the pace of play of the game. Let me ask you this as we shift to Georgia's defense a little bit and Nicobe Dean. And as we become more and more aware of Nicobe Dean's skill set in this Georgia defense altogether and the narrative surrounding Nicobe Dean's size and how he fits into this type of defense with the players around him that he has. Are you gaining more and more comfort with Nicobe Dean as he continues to dominate on a weekly basis? Or do you find yourself having some hesitation because, well, man, he's got, um, you know, Jordan Davis in front of him and really good pass rushers and, good tacklers around him, like downhill players and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. Like how has your perception of Nolan Smith evolved throughout the course of this season? Excuse me, uh, of N'Kobe Dean. N'Kobe Dean. I mean, are you going to draft him to play in a penetration front and ask him to be your Mike linebacker? Because if you are, I'm probably not going to like him very much. But if you play a gap control style defense where you have players that's up front, their objective is to occupy offensive linemen and you run a blitz heavy front and you want to stay in two linebackers when you, when you go into your nickel personnel and have a guy that can run, have a guy that can threaten in both coverage and as a blitzer, like he's got a lot of value that he brings to the table. (laughs) It's just, you have to acknowledge if you want your Mike linebacker to do everything and you play a system that's going to encourage the players in front of him to get hip to hip with offensive linemen instead of stacking them yep. and reading blocks, that's setting him up for failure. So if you play gap control, like he should be very high on your list. He's a stud. Yeah. I just every time I watch him, it's like, man, this guy's everywhere. He's flying around. He's making plays in the passing game. He's shooting gaps. He's, you know, just got an unbelievable trigger on him. And I mean, I've been through the comparables in terms of his size. Like, there are plenty of high-level NFL linebackers 
that are at a comparable size in terms of height and weight. Yep. Like they're, they're, no, we're not searching no for the concerns. exception, right? Yeah. We're not like, there, there's not like, there isn't, there is a blueprint here. We're not searching for something. We're not asking for something to be done that never has. There's plenty of linebackers of the same size of him that are really high impact players in the league. Was it, was it Dane that dropped the Jonathan Vilma comp on him? Ooh, I haven't seen that one yet. I think but it, it makes was a lot of sense during the, I mean, and Vilma was like six foot two thirty, was mm-hmm. not a big dude. Again, a lot or like long, that was a while ago too. He was right. And that was, that was when football was played more in that box. Yeah. Than now. How big's Levante David? Eric Hendricks. Yeah. These guys aren't super big guys. Like, right. And it's not like there's one or two historical comps to point to. Cause that's always dangerous when you're pointing to a guy, expecting him to be the exception to the rule. Right. Chris, I, I have five. I did some research here for you. So Brugler quote tweeted a Daniel Jeremiah tweet. So this is the, okay. the way that it goes down. Jeremiah tweeted Georgia linebacker. Nicobe Dean reminds me of Jonathan Vilma coming out of Miami. Okay. And then Brugler said, agree. That's the comp I wrote down there. Dean looks like Vilma 2.0 out there. So that is where that came from. Okay. So two of the best. New York jet. Great. Jonathan Vilma. New Orleans Saints. Great. <laughs> how da- how dare you? <laughs> um, anything else for Georgia, Michigan? I don't think so. I mean, wasn't a competitive game. Georgia reminded us of the team they were all year, except for the Alabama game, and now we get to see two point with Kirby Smart needing to prove himself against Nick Saban, a Crimson Tide team that is without John Mechie and really was able to take advantage of the passing game against Georgia. And so it should be a fun national championship game, even if it is the inevitable matchup we we thought could happen. So real quick, because I know we got to close it down. What was your favorite game that you watched? What was your favorite bowl game? Yeah, Rose Bowl, right? I mean, come on. Yes. Yes, it's insane. Wild, wild game. <laughs> and Jackson I, Smith and, and Gimba, or whatever his name is, dude, unbelievable. So Smith and Jimbo had fifteen for three hundred forty-seven yards. <laughs> also, not draft eligible. Oh, by the way, Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. had three touchdown catches as well. <laughs> Every time I looked up, there was a touchdown in that game, and you and I had the same thought. You texted me and you said. Utah's going to regret not going for two there. It was, and we we knew Ohio State was going to score. Didn't matter. There was like a you minute as well and forty five lead, seconds right? left. Right. Yeah. You might as well have taken you, the lead. And even if you didn't, then like, would they have two timeouts? I think like you yeah. you had a reasonable chance if you could have forced a stop. But with the way Ohio State was playing, they, they scored forty eight points and didn't have any in the first quarter. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. And it it felt like how long did how many possessions did it take before Utah had a punt? Yeah, it was a, it was a while. That, of course, I just jinxed myself because they punted on the opening possession of the game. I just looked it up. So they had an opening possession, they punted, and then they went touchdown, 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 <laughs> touchdown. 
And then they punted at the last possession with like 30 seconds left in the half. And then they had a fumble, field goal, turnover on downs, punt. We have 14 There was a stretch of one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. There were seven consecutive possessions that ended in a touchdown in the first half. Yeah, it was insane. A couple of field goals traded here in the second. Yeah, just fireworks galore. If you missed that one, go pull up YouTube, see if they got the, the game cut. <laughs> Up for the, the Rose Bowl. You will not regret it. 48-45, Ohio State. Nailed it in the bowl pick'em. I'm pointing at the wrong screen here. Nailed it in the bowl pick'em. Points at a non-existent camera to the people listening to the show because they're not going to see you do that. But yes, you did point to the camera. Well, I had to acknowledge it to you guys because you guys saw it. So I had the egg on my face. I had to wear the L. Um, that's going to do it. Chris, would you like to... Remind everybody, and and the reason I'm asking you is because I know we had some musical chairs on what we were doing on what day as far as what the rest of the week looks like for us. Sure. So the next two days, you're getting uh, New Year's resolutions for all 32 teams in the National Football League. We're going to break it up into AFC and NFC. And then, because there are so many teams that this applies to, a two-part Levy Grail this week. We're going to do the AFC and the NFC teams. I forget which order we've decided to go in. I believe we are doing the NFC first and then the AFC because there's only two AFC teams, so maybe some free-for-all stuff on Friday as well. So that is what the week ahead for Draft Dudes looks like. Can't wait. Make sure you guys hit subscribe, follow along. Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino, Chris Schubert. Thanks, as always, for listening to Draft Dudes Podcast. Make it a good one. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.